John chapter 2, continuing our message from last week entitled Drawing Near. And as I said last week, and, and I'm going to kind of repeat the first, last week's message just a little bit, but I said last week the idea of this message was is that, that, that God wants a relationship with us, okay? And um, he, he, he created us for a purpose, that you're created, as I said in, in Colossians, you're created through Christ and for Christ. You're created to have a relationship with God. And uh, the thing about this relationship is that God established that relationship and, and, and like cemented it when he sent Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, he cemented that relationship with God for us through him. And here's the thing, that the, the relationship, though, isn't just one-sided. It's not just God saying, well, I'm coming to you. He's also wanting us to draw near to him. You know, James says if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. And the idea is, is that God wants us. He, he says, man, I've created you for a relationship, but how many of you know we also kind of have to partake in that? Um, do you ever just have some of those weeks that you feel like your relationship with God is just stale, stagnant? You ever, yeah, let me ask you, do you ever, where did God go? How many of you know God doesn't go anywhere? Yeah. Let me ask you, um, raise your hand. If, do you know who moves usually? Us, okay? We move because we're not drawing near. And, and here's the thing, drawing near to God isn't just some, some kind of automatic thing, okay? There are things that you and I need to put into practice and do. And, and, and we kind of see this in our text, in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. And, and so I just want to kind of recap um, last week. And, and I'm, I, we're looking at four things that we, we can do to help us draw near. And so here's the first thing that I, we talked about last week. If you want to draw near to God, you need to have a passion for God's house. You've got to have a passion for God's house. This is what we see in verses 13 through 17, you know, Jesus, as I said in, in, during communion, Jesus is um, in Jerusalem for the Passover. And uh, he, he enters the, the temple. And, and it says that he goes off on the people. And he starts driving out the animals. He's turning over the money changers' tables. And, and, and the question is, is why? Why does he do this? Well, here's the thing. During Passover and during the sacrificial times, merchants used to sell animals outside the temple. Well, the Pharisees got the idea. They, they wanted to get money and make money. So what they allowed was the merchants to go into the outer courts of the temple and start selling animals. So that way, people who traveled to Jerusalem from far distances could purchase an animal. There's nothing wrong with that. But they were they were putting exorbitant prices on things, okay? Instead of selling a cow or a bull or a ram or a sheep at, at a normal price, they jacked it up 50%. And so they were making money on this. The money changers, they knew that people were coming into Jerusalem with foreign coin and they needed, they needed, they needed um, Jewish coins. So they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll exchange money for a fee. So these people were getting rich, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're not turning my father's house into a market. It's not happening. But the real reason we see Jesus do this, he gets, you know, when he, when he sees everything going on, and it says that he made a cord, a, a whip out of cords, and he starts driving the animals out and, and driving the people out, 
The primary reason isn't because they were making money. The primary reason is found in verse 17. It says his disciples remembered after all of this took place, and then later on they remembered this. And it says that it was written about him, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus had a zeal. That word zeal means a fervent passion. He, 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 it, it, was a, it was a dedication, like he, a dedication devotion to this thing. He had a zeal, a passion for God's house. And he's like, no, you're not doing that to my father's house. He was on fire for God's house. Do you want to know how you and I draw near to God? By having a passion for his house. But I'm telling you, as Americans, we don't. We, we, we look at coming to worship as simply something we just do as a, a social obligation, a religious obligation. Get my spiritual check mark. I get my gold star. I went to church. I'm good. And, and, and if I can be there, great. If I'm not, well, I'm not out anything. No, we are out. We have missed an opportunity to have a zeal, a passion to worship God. You see, Jesus' zeal for God's house was not, he's like, this is not a merchant place. This is a house of worship. We come here for only one purpose, to worship our God. See, the Israelites under the Old Testament they were coming out of ritual. They were coming out of duty. They were coming because they had to sacrifice an animal. For us, our sacrifice has been completed. Jesus has given his life for us. That's why we come to worship Jesus. And we should have a passion for this place. Have a desire to be in the house of God. And, and go, man, I want to worship I want to worship my Savior. And so if we want to draw near, because let me ask you, do you ever get to Wednesday, get to, Wednesday, get to Sunday? Man, I'm, that cold really must have affected my mind. Do you ever get to Sunday and, and just feel spiritually spent? Sunday is kind of like, like if, if you can think of driving a, um, a long distance and, and you've driven your car to empty, and, and it's, 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 you're like, man, where's the gas station? Where's the gas station? You get pretty fired up about a gas station, don't you? And then you see the gas station, and you're like, yes, we're going to make it. And you pull up to the gas station. Now, let me ask you, if you're on E and you've got 500 more miles, do you just go, bloop, 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 bloop? Nope, that's enough. No, you're like, man, I need to fill this sucker up. And you fill that car up. Why? Because you still have a journey to go. Man, when you go through your week and everything that your week encompasses, sometimes you come in here and you're just, you're empty, aren't you? But here's what happens. When we come in here with a passion and a zeal to worship, and we hear, and we're worshiping Jesus, and we're hearing his word preached, guess what it should do to us spiritually? Fill us back up. Why? Because we have another week to go through. And guess what's going to happen? The things of life, it's going to deplete us spiritually. So we got to come back in. We got to charge up. We got to fill up spiritually. Man, let's get into worship. Let's hear his word. And then when I walk out of here, I'm ready to go. And it becomes just a, a weak thing. And so we need to have that passion, that, that zeal. 
in order to draw near God, in order to draw near. Here's the second thing, like I talked about last week. The second thing to draw near is this. You need to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection. In verses 18 through 22, after Jesus drives everybody out of the temple and he's done, he's did what he's did, the Jewish leaders are, are like, hey, dude, who are you to do what you just did? By what authority? Are, are, tell us, you better show us a sign to prove that you can do what you did, just did. And Jesus is like, okay, fine. Um, tear the temple down and um, I'll resurrect it in three days. Well, they all thought he was nuts. Because they're like, that's impossible. It took us 46 years to build this. There's no way you're building this thing in three days. Even his disciples probably tilted their head on him going, oh, man, he overspoke. He, he went off the prompter. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that, Jesus, because now, now you're going to. You see, the thing is, Jesus, he, this is, one, like I said last week, one of the first times he goes from the, he's not talking about the physical. He's talking about the spiritual part of it. He's talking not about the actual temple building, but his body. He's talking about his resurrection. He's like, he's like yeah, yeah, you're gonna, one day you're going to destroy the temple, this temple, and I'm going to be coming up out of the ground in three days, and I will resurrect, and I will not die again. You see, and that's why it says there in verse 22, it says, when, his, when he was therefore raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he, what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. They believed it, man. They, 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 they trusted in Jesus. They believed in that resurrection. They grabbed hold of it. They believed in the power of the resurrection, and it changed their life. You see, this is what you and I have got to understand, is that we've got to believe Jesus rose from the dead. It's the, it, 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 that, that we believe this thing, and I believe in the power of it. And I gave you three things why we, you and I need to believe in the power of the resurrection. One reason why you, you and I need to believe in the power of the resurrection is because Jesus' resurrection overcomes the power of spiritual death. The, the, the resurrection of Christ, Jesus coming back from the dead, helps us to overcome the dead. And the, the, the spiritual death that, that I'm referring to is what Revelation talks about is the second death. Okay, remember, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you only die once physically, because once you die physically, your spirit, you are in the presence of Christ then. And then one day, because of the resurrection of Christ, you are going to be resurrected from the dead bodily and your body and your spirits coming back together again. And we will spend eternity with Jesus. But if you are an unbeliever, you will die twice. Once physically and once spiritually. The second death is a spiritual death. And this is what Revelation chapter 20 talks about. It says that at the great white throne judgment, that people will stand before the great white throne, before God, and he will judge them. And then he's going to open the book of life. And if anybody's name is not found in that book, it says that they will be cast from his presence and thrown into the lake of fire. The second death death but it's not annihilation it is eternal separation from God forever and ever and as Jesus said so many times it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the where your thirst is never quenched 
You see, that's the second death. And John writes in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, he says, But those of you who partake of the first resurrection, the second death has no power over you. Why? Because the first resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, man, it seals us. When you know Christ is your Savior, you are with him forever. And you will not face that second death. It overcomes it. Here's the second reason why you and I need to believe in the resurrection. Because it assures our faith and salvation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus Christ is not resurrected from the grave, you are still a sinner. You are still dead in your sin. You're still unsaved. And your faith means absolutely nothing. It's futile. Isn't that a waste of time? But if I believe in the power of the resurrection, if I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, guess what it assures me? Nah, I am forgiven. Because I know him. I know him as my savior. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he is seated at the right hand of the father. And I believe that when he sat down, that it is finished. It's done. There's no more work to do that he has saved me. And I know he's redeemed me. I know he's forgiven and cleansed me. I know I'll be with him forever. That is what it's all about. And I know my faith isn't futile because I believe and trust in the power of the resurrection. And then the third reason why we believe in the power of the resurrection is because it's an anchor for my faith and hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter writes, he says, Through Christ you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. What Peter is saying is, hey, because you have faith in Christ, you believe in God. You've come to God because of Christ. And because you know Christ, you know God. And you know that God raised him from the dead and glorified him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is, in, he is right there in heaven right now, alive and doing well. And because you know all that, guess where your hope lies? Not in anything about you and me. Your hope doesn't lie in whether Russia stops invading Ukraine. Your hope doesn't lie in, I hope inflation comes down. Your hope doesn't lie in, I hope the doctors can heal me. No, my hope and my faith are anchored in who God is. That no matter what comes into my life, I know God has me. And I trust in him. You see, that's the anchor and the hope I have when I know the power of the resurrection. Now let's move on to our text today. Let's look at the last two things that you and I need to do in order to draw near. And here's the third thing. Have a, persever <clears throat> have a persevering faith in Jesus. We want to have a passion for God's house. We want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. And we have to have a persevering faith in Jesus. Look at verse 23. <clears throat> my throat is starting to, I can already feel it. <clears throat> Verse 23 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. 
Okay, now here's one of those times where at the end of John, John tells us that Jesus did so many things that we don't know that even the books can't, I mean, books couldn't fill it up. Here's the time. Notice it says they believed in Jesus at the signs they were, he was doing. Well, what was he doing? We don't know. But he was doing signs means miracles. He was proving himself to be the Messiah. He was proving himself, I am God. He was proving himself to say, oh, I am the one who has come from heaven. Do you want to believe? Watch this. Now, what he did, we don't know. I'm pretty sure there was probably some people who couldn't walk. Rise up and walk. I'm probably pretty sure there were some blind people. Now see. Maybe there were people who couldn't speak. Now speak. And he was performing miracles. And the people during the Passover were like, dude, you are awesome. I believe in you. Yep, I do. Man, nobody, I can't do that. So, and my buddy Joe can't do that. But you, I trust in you. I believe in you. Now, if verse 23 was it, that would be great news, wouldn't it? That people were putting their faith in Jesus. He was healing people or whatever he was doing. They were like, man, these, this guy is doing, look what he's doing. Nobody, even the Pharisees can't do this stuff. But he is, man, I believe in him. And if that was it, that would be great news. How many of you remember uh, the radio broadcaster Paul Harvey? Raise your hand if you remember that name. Okay, how many of you Raise your hand, you have looking at me like I have no idea who Paul Harvey is. Raise your hand. Few of you, okay. Majority of you, good. For the, the few of you, let me explain who Paul Harvey was. Paul Harvey was a, radio, a very well-known radio broadcaster personality in the 1960s and 70s and into the 80s, okay. Yep, that was last century, okay. For all of us old folks, that was a long time ago. So during the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, Paul Harvey was a very well-known radio broadcaster. And what he would do is he would take um, maybe major headlines or sometimes even headlines that maybe you didn't hear about, and he would start to talk about it. And, and, and he, he had such a dynamic way of telling a story. And he would start to begin the story of what the headline was, and he would go for maybe a couple minutes, and then he'd pause and then he would go, and now, see, all of us old people know that. And now for the rest of the story. And he would continue on about what the story was really all about. This is what's happening here, okay? If Paul Harvey was in Jerusalem at this time, Paul Harvey would have been like, Jesus of Nazareth, he shows up and he, could, he creates chaos everywhere. And he's like, he's doing these miraculous signs and the people, oh, the people, the people are believing in him. The people are following him. The people are trusting in him. But now, for the rest of the story. Because the people believed, but Houston, we have a problem. Because look at verse 24. So the people were believing in the signs he was doing, but look at verse 24. But Jesus... Whenever you have but Jesus, you know that's probably going to go somewhere where. Um, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Notice that word entrust. 
That's the key word here. Some of you may have a version where it says he did not commit himself to them. So he was performing signs. People were like, Jesus, I believe in you, and I want to follow you. But he's like, I'm not going to entrust myself or commit myself to you. That word commit is the key word. Now, why is that word commit or entrust important? Well, this is now where you and I have got to understand what that word would have meant in the original language in Greek. Okay, now I know you all aren't Greek scholars and neither am I. So I'm going to try to explain this to the best of my ability. In the Greek language, that word entrust or commit is the word, is the Greek word. Let me get it. Let me get it here. Let me find it. Give me a second. Everybody say give him a second. Oh, there it is. Okay. It is the Greek word. I got ahead of myself. I didn't flip my notes. It's the Greek word pisteo, P-I-S-T-E-O. And that Greek word pisteo means to believe or to trust. So when it says that he did not entrust himself, it means that he did not believe or trust them. Now, here's where, where, where it really gets interesting. Verse 24, you have the word entrust, pisteo in Greek, meaning to believe. If you go back to verse 23, you have the word believe. It's the same Greek word, pisteo. To believe. So what basically, literally, it says that the people saw the signs of Jesus and they believed. But Jesus did not believe them. You see, they say, we believe in you. But he's like, I don't believe in your belief. Why? Because he knew what was really inside them. You see, they had a head knowledge of Jesus. They, 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 they loved, they loved the, the signs. They, they were attracted to Jesus because of the show. They were attracted to Jesus because what he was doing for them, what he could give them. And that's why they believed in him. And they were all fired up, but Jesus was taking a step back going, nope, I don't believe your belief. I'm not going to trust you. Because you say you believe, but your heart's saying something different. You see, that's the thing about real belief. Real belief in Jesus just isn't about the show. Let me ask you, maybe you have thought this or said something in this, maybe vain, or maybe you know people. Have you ever said this or heard someone say this, I'll believe in Jesus if. If he heals my daughter, I'll believe in Jesus. If, if he heals my marriage, I'll believe in Jesus. If he can perform the miracle in my money situation, I will believe in Jesus. You see, we, we put our faith in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. A miracle can be a good starting point. These people had a starting point, but they wouldn't carry through. Because here's the thing, real believing, saving faith in Jesus is not about just the miracle. It's not about what I will get. Because, man, I'm telling you, there's a lot of preachers out there telling you, hey, if you come to Jesus, he's going to give all kinds of things to you. He'll heal your body. He'll make you rich. He'll fulfill all your dreams. And a lot of people are expecting Jesus to give them and do something for them. Well, what happens when that doesn't happen? Or what happens when my facts about Jesus doesn't align up with my reality? 
Or how about this? How many of you know there are people who hear a message about heaven and hell and people are like, well, I want to go to heaven. I really don't want to go to hell. So I'll believe in Jesus simply as fire insurance. See, here's the reality of real saving faith. Real saving faith is it shows itself through perseverance. Because in the book of John, we're going to see this happen. We're going to see people believe in Jesus because of the signs. We're going to see people commit themselves to Jesus and start to follow Jesus and think it's all great and hunky-dunky until Jesus starts preaching real truth or until it gets hard. And then all of a sudden, what you're going to see is by the time you get to Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and to his ascension, when he get through all of that, when it's all said and done, from the crowds of people, from the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who made the declaration, I believe in you, Jesus, by the time you get to the book of Acts, you have 120 people left who truly believed, who truly persevered, And had this persevering faith to say, I will believe in Jesus. That is drawing near. You see, how many of you, and you've heard me say this, it's easy to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus when life is good. If Jesus is going to heal me every time when I'm sick, I'll follow Jesus. If Jesus is going to make me rich and give me more money, I will follow Jesus. If Jesus is going to make my dreams come true, I will follow Jesus. But what happens if Jesus doesn't heal my cancer? What happens if I still lose the job? What happens if my dream doesn't come true? Do I continue to follow Jesus or not? And I'm telling you, a lot of people jump off the boat and choose and decide, I don't want to follow Jesus. It's too hard. You see, that's not persevering faith. Persevering faith is not only do I follow Jesus and believe in Jesus when life is good, but I also follow and believe in Jesus when life is bad, life is hard, when when life isn't making sense, when, 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 I, when I keep hearing, well, God will do this and God's going to, he's going to, I believe God is a God of blessing. I believe God wants to, wants to will shine favor on you. I believe that God will, will he, he, he does heal, but does he heal every time? Let's be honest. No, he does not. I believe that God does prosper people, but was everybody in the Bible prosperous and rich? No, Mary and Joseph were poor. God is a good God. And we follow God and we follow Jesus because he's good, not just because he gives us good. He's good even in the storm. He's good in the trial. He's good when life isn't making sense. He's good When life is upside down, he is still good. And persevering faith says, I will draw near to God even when it's not making sense. 
I draw near because I have a genuine belief in Jesus. And then lastly, here's the fourth thing about drawing near, and it's this. Desire a pure and holy heart. If you want to draw near, desire a pure and holy heart. So again, look at verse 24. So the people were believing in him, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And verse 25 says this, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Nobody had to come up and go to Jesus and go, hey, um, Jesus, do you really know what's inside of people? No. Can you tell me? Because I have not a clue. He didn't trust himself to people because he knew what was really inside of man. Now, when he's talking about inside, he's not talking about your organs. He's talking about the inside, the spiritual part of you. Because how many of you know we all are, you know, we are all made with a material part. We're all made with an immaterial part. You are, are, you are made with, 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 with a body and a spirit. You are made with the seen and the unseen, the touchable and the untouchable, okay? The body is the touchable. It is the seen. It, it, it's the material part. But what is inside, not inside the body, but it's the spirit of us, that's the immaterial, that's the untouchable, that's the unseen. And that's where Jesus is diving into here. He's like, let's move past the, 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 the superficial outward stuff. Let's get to the, the real matter of everything, the spiritual part. That's where we need to go. Now, the spiritual part, just like our body, our body is made up of multiple parts, different parts and things. The spirit is made up of different parts. Now, can I tell you, and you can talk to Paula, I've wrestled on this this week, this point. Because when you start reading biblically about the, the spiritual aspect of you, there's a lot there, okay? Because you're, the spiritual aspect, like Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, he, he, he says, I, I pray that you will be sanctified body, soul, and spirit. So you got the body, but then he says you got a soul and you got a spirit. Well, then Jesus tells us in Mark chapter, four, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and with all your strength. So you got a soul and a spirit, and then a heart, and a mind. You've got all this stuff. I'm telling you, it's like there's so much inward spiritual stuff, and when you start looking at it, it gets really confusing. And so I wrestled with this, and I, I finally just, as I stripped it all down, I came to this one conclusion. As I kept looking at the, the, the Greek words and the Hebrew words for all of this, we all have a spirit. I think that's the main thing. We have a spirit. And like the body is made up of different parts, the spirit itself is made up of different parts. The spirit is made up of the heart, the soul, and the mind. And the heart, soul, and mind, actually, they all intermingle. It's not like one, it's not to say that the mind is specific, does this, that the soul specific does this, the heart is specific, does this. They all kind of intertwine in, in their meaning and what, what, what they involve. But it's the heart that seems to be biblically more discussed and, and shown than anything else. 
Because throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you will read hundreds of times about the heart. Not the one in your chest, but at the center of your spirit. The heart. The heart. Paul writes in in, in, um, Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. We we read how um, the apostles would write, that, that, that we would have a devotion out of a pure heart. We see this heart thing. Well, here's the thing. We see it in multiple ways how the heart affects our life. That your heart, just like your heartbeat, the, the heart in the middle of your chest, it, 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 it flows the blood in your body. And if that heartbeat stops, what happens to the body? It stops. The heart affects the body. So guess what? The heart in your spirit also affects the outward. In fact, here's a a few verses. It says in Matthew 15, 18. Well, actually, let me give you a definition here first before I give you these verses. Here's here's how I come to this idea about about the heart and what the heart does. The heart is is like the, the seat of your, the seat and center of your spiritual life. Um, it, it, it's the center of your motives, your attitudes, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, your personality, your will, and your moral purpose. The heart controls everything, just like the heart in your body controls everything. So in Matthew chapter 15, and we'll see how the, the heart, the inward heart affects your outward life. Matthew 15, 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, spiritual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. In Matthew chapter 12, just a little bit earlier, Jesus said, from the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21, it says, for from within... See, just what Jesus, was he knew what's in a person. Within a person, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you ever do something and ask yourself, why did I just do that? Do you ever get angry at someone? And I know probably none of you do this. You ever cuss someone out? And you, why? Why did I just do that? Do you ever ask yourself and wonder, why do you keep doing the same thing? Do you ask yourself, why do I do that? It's because of the heart. Jeremiah says, your heart is is, is desperately sick, wicked above anything else. And who can understand it? This is what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 7. He says, I do things and I don't know why. The things that I should, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I keep on doing them. Why? And he 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 actually answers himself in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He goes, oh, I know why. Because nothing good lives within me. 
in my sin nature, inside this thing, nothing good dwells. And we keep doing the same things. So how do we... How do we guard our, how do we, how do we change this thing then? We do know that when we come to know Christ, he does a work. The old is gone, the new has come, right? We know that. We know that we are born again, but yet we still have this heart that still, something's wrong with it because we still all have a sin nature, another element that's inside of us spiritually. And so, Here's a couple things that you and I can do to help us in this regard. How we can draw near. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Why? Why do I need, I mean, above all else, guard your heart. Why do I need to guard my heart? Because everything you do flows from it. Every choice you make, Every decision we make, good, bad, whatever, guess where it ultimately comes from? From the heart. And from my heart, it flows out. So I need to guard this thing. Well, how do you and I guard our hearts? What's the primary way you and I guard our hearts? What do you think? God's word. That's the primary way. The most effective way that you and I guard our heart is through the word of God. And then there's other just outward tangible things that you and I can do not do, do to help protect our heart. You know, one of the things that out, overflow out of our hearts um, is fear, worry, stress, doubt, all of this stuff. Hey, let me ask you, um, anybody a little worried in our time right now? Anybody having a little bit of fear come out of your, that's, that's coming out of your heart. And the thing is, the fear and the doubt and all that, guess what it affects? my outward life. So guess how you can guard your heart against that. So here's the thing. If you deal with fear and worry and stress and you're like, let me ask you, are you spending more time on ABC, NBC, CNBC, Fox, or whatever it may be, more than God's word? Are you listening more to, to what, what, what George Stephanopoulos has to say more than what Jesus has to say? You see, the more I listen to the news, guess what's, going, guess what's going into my heart? Everything that the news wants to convey, every bad thing, every horrible thing, how bad it all is. The world's going, we know that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus tells us that. But guess where my hope's got to come? From the words of Jesus, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And Jesus is like, yeah, this world's going to fall out and it's going to be in truth, but I'm coming back for you. See, you got to guard your heart. But here's a great verse in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. If you truly want a pure heart, pray for it. David writes after his fall with Bathsheba and he writes this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I pray that verse a lot. You see, after I, you read that verse in the context of chapter 51, it's in the context when David sinned with Bathsheba. You see, and if I really think about it, I think David, I think, I think he, he dealt with lust because he looked at 
Bathsheba showering, and he didn't turn away and walk away. He kept looking, kept looking, kept looking, and that drew him to the point of bringing her into his room. And I think he, when he got all said and done, he's like, God created me a pure heart. I don't want this. But here's the thing. It's not just lust. It's everything we deal with. And I think this is a great prayer to pray. God created me a pure heart. God, it's my heart. I know it's wicked. I know there's nothing good that lives in me. There's, my sin nature is always hungry. And Lord, it's always wanting more. And I, Lord, I don't want to keep feeding. Create in me a pure heart. Well, guess what? That pure, pure heart is also in, with the mind. It's, 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 it's my thoughts. It's my thinking. It's everything. God, create in me a pure heart. Renew my mind. Help me, God, to think different, to see different. Help me to look at you different. And God, give me a right spirit within me. That's a great prayer, isn't it? And that's a simple verse to remember. You don't have to go to your Bible. Where was that verse at? You should know that off the top of your, right? What's Isaiah, or uh, what, if I were to say, hey, what's Psalm 51.10? God created me a pure heart and created me a right spirit. You see, here's the thing. You and I, you're not getting it done in your own effort. David figured that out. And that's why he's like, God, you created everything. You got to create in me this pure heart, because I can't do it. And I'm going to fail. Anybody other than me get tired of failing? You ever just get frustrated with yourself and with your sin, and you, you, you keep going backwards going, man, I don't understand this thing. The heart is wicked above all else. You're not going to tame it. You're not going to wrangle it in. Okay? That sin nature and everything is all connected. And guess what? Yeah, you're born again. And Jesus has created something new in you. And you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. But here's the thing. That sin nature, it is hungry. And it's always saying, feed me. And the way it gets fed is by what goes, what's happening in comes out. And what I do in my life, that's what feeds it constantly. So you and I, if you want a pure heart, one, you've got to desire it. You got to come to that place. And the way I desire it is I start to draw near to God. And I draw near to God by simply praying God, create in me a pure heart. Oh, God, I'm tired of this. Now, does that mean you're going to be perfect? Nope. Because guess what? Monday, you're going to pray, God, give me a pure heart. And by Monday afternoon, guess what's coming out? Something bad. But guess what you do? You keep coming back. God, forgive me. God, I confess my sin. I, I, I'm, I'm a fallen. Created me a pure heart. Amen. My prayer, folks, is that we all would want to draw near. And as we keep drawing near, we become more and more like Christ. Why don't we all stand? Let's get ready to close. Let me close this in a word of prayer. <clears throat> So, Father, we thank you for your word. And, Father, we want to be, it's my prayer that we would be a church wanting to draw near to you. And, Lord, we would draw near through having a passion for your house. And we would draw near by believing in the power of the resurrection. 
And Lord, we would draw near by having a persevering faith. Father, we are living in chaotic times. Life is hard. But Lord, I pray that we are a, a church full of people not bailing out on this thing. And Lord, we're not just believing in you because you do the good things and the great things and the wonder. But Lord, we believe in you, Lord, even when life doesn't make sense. And when we're going through that valley of the shadow of death, we believe in you and know that you are with us. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people drawing near to you with a desire to have a pure and holy heart. And Lord, I believe right now, I think if we all are honest, Lord, we fall so short here. Lord, we're all sinners saved by your amazing grace. And Lord, I know that as Paul says, the things that we want to do, we don't. The things that we shouldn't do, we do. We know that when we want to do what is good and right, right there, there's sin with me. Lord, I pray that you would help us desire to have that pure heart, Lord. Help us to guard our heart because everything that we do flows from that. And Lord, I pray that you would purify our hearts and create in us a right spirit for your glory. Lord, set our hearts on you and change us, oh God. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.